This is an album titled The Music of Stones, compositions by Stefan Mikus for the resonating stones of Elmar Daucher, the sculptor on the ECM label. We're hearing resonating stones. Musician and composer Stefan Mikus, sounding stones, tapping rock to talk with the flute, setting birds loose in flight shortly as the shakuhachi enters. It's a nice introduction to a recent conversation we had about the Everhart Museum of Natural History, Science, and Art in Scranton, where, on August 6th of this year, the museum's Rocks and Minerals Gallery reopened after substantial renovations to the gallery space and a reimagining of the exhibition. The revamped gallery features a fluorescent rocks and minerals case, a variety of regionally collected rocks and minerals, educational exhibits highlighting rock and mineral properties and origins, and a showcase of exceptional specimens collected both locally and from around the world. The long-term rocks and minerals project also has included extensive restoration and care for the museum's geological collections. The Rocks and Minerals Gallery, showcasing just one of the important collections from the Everhart's extensive holdings. From singing stones to rolling stones. How does it feel to be without a home? Like a complete unknown. Like a rolling stone. Nearly a year after the rocks returned to their rightful space in the gallery. There will be an exhibition celebrating sounds and sights of the 1960s and the cultural breakthroughs and changes of that time. This song by Bob Dylan, Like a Rolling Stone, was part of the shifting, changing landscape of the era. That's the range of the experiences the Everhart Museum is dedicated to providing for this region and beyond. James Lansing has recently been named the Everhart's curator, and he and Mark DeStefano, board member and longtime volunteer, stopped in at the WVIA studios to talk about the museum and its importance in our lives. James Lansing. The Everhart is really a little bit of everything. It's natural history, it's science, it's art. And we try to incorporate all different viewpoints, different groups, different nationalities into the museum. So it does offer something for everybody. And we really want to make it known that it's not just a Scranton museum. And too much of that I hear. We want to make it a regional museum and then a semi-national museum. And that's what we're aiming toward. And some of the new exhibits we have coming up, we're going to wrap around that to make it more regional. It was founded based on a collection by someone named Dr. Everhart. Yeah, Dr. Everhart, yes, about the bird gallery and went from there and started building. And, you know, it's a great resource for Scranton. 
and the area, and people have to really start to embrace it as that. Now, we read when you were welcomed as curator that you were allowed to poke around in the archives to see what was in the collection. Were you surprised by what's there, the holdings of the museum? I was surprised because when I was there as an intern, I was mostly in storage and paintings. And storage was a whole different place then. It was uh, dark. It wasn't organized very well. But when I came back and I saw what they had done with storage and done with the education wing upstairs, I, I was amazed. But when I was there, it was mainly just paintings. But then I got to go in storage recently and through the last three months that all the wonderful things that are in there that I want to bring out. What would be something that you might have noticed and said, the public should see that? Well, I think one thing I saw right away was Audrey Flack. They had one of hers. They had Ed Rusha. They had that. And I was surprised to see those things are just sitting in storage. And one of the first exhibits that I'm going to put out, both of those things are going to be in it. If you have this vision and you have a deep archive, the gallery space has been updated so you can showcase them well, right? Yes. Yeah, we can. And the Bird Gallery and the Fossil Gallery, we've recently added to the Bird Gallery by being connected to the Cornell Lab, the Ornithology Lab. And they gave us permission to use their eBird website. So I put a QR code on each of the cases. So now people see a bird, they can look it right up, see it, hear it. And that was a wonderful resource they let us use for free. The range you were talking about, something for everyone, one of the things people who are collectors or who love to go up to Corning realize that the Everhart has a wonderful glass collection. For example, Dorfinley yes. or glass made here in the days when the pieces would wind up in the White House, right? Yes, and we do have some of the White House collection in our Dorfinlinger collection. That recently just was revamped, and the Dorfinlinger Museum came in and helped the staff get that together, and it's a wonderful new exhibit. And I was surprised to find out, because I go to flea markets and yard sales constantly, I asked Nancy, our collections person, how can I tell a Dwarflinger? She goes, unfortunately, there's no hallmarks on it. Only the ones made in Hazleton have a hallmark. The rest of it, you have to know the pattern, or you can't tell, which I was surprised. Mark, what attracts you to the museum? Why do you spend your time working on behalf of the museum? Well, I mean, I'm back on the board again. I've, I've been a volunteer for many, many years. And I just think it's it's the ninth oldest museum in the in the state, and it's an important part of northeastern Pennsylvania. You know, I'm always really interested, I'm interested in the fine arts, but I'm more interested in the educational component, where these children in our area, this might be, for some of them, the only museum they'll see. And it's critical. We have a number of, of children that move through that museum each year and and James is great because he's curator, but he also has deep educational background. So we're blending the two roles. I mean, he's a great addition to the museum. But we worked really, really hard back in the 90s to, to get that museum back on solid footing. And, and we want to keep it strong. We want to make sure it's here for many, many years for, for people from northeastern Pennsylvania and outside of northeastern Pennsylvania. So we're going to keep doing what we have to do to continue to raise the bar and make improvements. What are some of the obstacles in getting children to the museum? Well, it's typically transportation. So, you know, schools may want to send students to the museum, but everybody's working on tighter purse strings today. So funding transportation is important, and, and we're working on ways to get students to the museum. 
and defray those costs. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a challenging environment for everybody. Talk to us then, James, a little bit about the education program and what you're envisioning. Classes, bringing in artists and having workshops. What's the gamut? Well, I think Mark's saying about getting kids to the museum, that's the first thing I was looking at. And I've been looking at grants that'll be so open that we could afford then to get a vehicle to not have to have the school support, that we could go get the kids. And I'm applying for a grant through the Kellogg Foundation that's going to address that directly. Now, if that goes through, we'd be able to purchase a vehicle just for that. And we'll, we'll see if that works out. As far as classes, yes, we like to bring in as many artists as possible and especially local artists to keep people connected because we have enough artists in the area to get that done. People may not recognize the fact that you have the contemporary artists, but also a wonderful folk art collection too. The little girl with the flag, for example. Oh, yes. Right. Yes. Does that consist of paintings and more artifacts and so forth? Uh, many artifacts, paintings, portraits. And that is the um, next exhibit that will open in December. The Oppenheim family has granted us a major gift to open that gallery. And that will open roughly the middle of December. But we have so much in our collection, it'll just be a semi-permanent. We'll just keep rotating things in and out. When we were with you at the reception where there were musicians from Abington and some of our members and some of your members coming in, and there was a wonderful collection of women's art there that was a show before you arrived, mm -hmm. Darlene Miller-Lanning from the University of Scranton was able to go into the collection yes. and pull out a good number of distinctive and interesting works by women. Yes. And speaking of the University of Scranton, there is an artist who is so well remembered here, and that's Hope Horn. And there are on display works upstairs, but also sculpture outside. There's a sculpture outside, and there's a sculpture in the entryway and her gallery upstairs. And that's another lovely thing to be able to experience her range and celebrate an important artist for us. Mark, if you were lining up a school group sometime in the next couple of weeks, how would you take them through the museum? What would you like to have them see? Well, the kids seem to really enjoy the bird gallery. They really do. And again, the recent addition where they can actually hear the sounds is, is I mean, we've been talking about that, James, for, for years. <laughs> And, uh, and you finally made it happen. I'm not too sure the level of interest in, in fine art, but they should see that. And that's important, too. And with our staff helping to dialogue and educate, that's always helpful as well. So, I mean, you just try to expose young people so they appreciate the various aspects of our museum. And, and I mean, I see the classroom activity when I'm there for meetings, and it's, it's really bursting with activity. I mean, those, those kids have a wonderful time and they're learning, and they're enjoying it while they're learning, and that's really important. I mean, we're lucky. We've got, we've got really dedicated staff members at the museum. We've always been pretty thinly staffed, and everybody gives 110%, whether it's staff, the board, volunteers. So in that respect, we're really lucky. People love the museum. Sometimes you open up and you have community days and you go out into the park or out into the area surrounding the museum, and that must be a nice opportunity. That must add oh, yes. something to the options that you have. Oh, yes. It's a great opportunity. And on those days, a lot of people from the community visit the museum and appreciate the park at the same time. Do you know much about the building itself, architecture-wise? Is it a good design of a museum? It is, it is a really good design of a museum. It has the two wings and the main gallery, which is massive. 
and it separates the museum well into different departments. And for traveling exhibits or semi-permanent or just changing out exhibits, it lends itself very, very well to that. And the extensions definitely helped the two wings on both sides. But it's an, it's an easy museum to navigate. And for a staff, it's an easy museum to move exhibits in and out. It is definitely, uh, it works, yes. You mentioned the show, the folk art show in December. Can you just give us a view of some of the things that are on the horizon? Um, on the horizon, we have, well, we've been given some gifts by a local collector. And one of the shows is going to revolve around this painting called Shadow Man. And that was an outsider graffiti artist in New York in the late 70s, early 80s. He would paint these shadow men around the corner where you would walk and get shocked. But he also did canvases. So we got one of those lent to us. And there's going to be an exhibit all about the late 70s, early 80s New York scene. And we're going to partner with the Maslow Collection at Marywood. And that'll be one exhibit. We're going to have a coal exhibit to open when the Brooks Mine reopens in the spring. They were open in this fall and they had thousands of visitors already. So we're gonna open that when they open again. So they're the next two major exhibits we're gonna have. In the summer, uh, we're gonna have an exhibit on the, again, we're trying to appeal to different groups of people. So we're gonna have a 1960s music art exhibit with posters from the 60s, with some music, with some lights, because we want to get all different groups involved in the museum. So that's going to be also in the summer. And we know that museums have been rethinking yes. their roles in the community and, yes. and making sure that there is that inclusion in terms of who's welcome and what's being seen and who's on display. So yes. that's the kind of thing that you're addressing there. Absolutely. And we have an Underground Railroad exhibit coming in. We have in November, uh, Tucson, Arizona artist, Daniel Martin Diaz. We're going to open that to correspond with Hispanic Heritage Month to get another group of people to see that the museum is not just for certain people, that all groups are being addressed in the museum, all ages are being addressed. And we've also started early stages proposal of having a children's gallery for kids can actually, outside of the education part, have things to do in the museum. Even though we're not a children's museum, that's another group we have to address to get them to see the museum as a fun place that they want to come back to. You mentioned being a volunteer, Mark, for a long time. You welcome volunteers. You need volunteers. Sure. We always need people to help, and, and they're always welcome. But, you know, we always, you know, even at the board level and the senior management level, you, you always think about how, how do you keep the museum relevant? And, and that's key. It's, you know, it's sort of part of our discussion on an ongoing basis. And, and I think James alluded to, to some of those things. You know, and we, we take EITC dollars as well. That helps fund all the educational programming. We've got, you know, some large supporters that provide funding thanks to the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, you know, the tax credits that, that are available. And, and those, those dollars are really important. All of that is critical, and to juggle it all is something. And your vision, I'm sure, is much grander than your budget, James. But it's wonderful to know that you are here now because your experience is quite something. I love the fact that you have maritime experiences. Oh, yes. Is there anything that you've seen that is nautical at all in the collection at the Everhart? I've seen some Ship's Chandler signs for folk art. That's nautical. <laughs> and you love music. You play music. Already you told us about integrating music into the summer as show. As much as possible. And yeah. I think it's important. Like we've already discussed, museums, they have to change. They have to change the uh, fit society, what is going to bring people in, because they have so many options now that they didn't have in the past. 
Like I was surprised in 1930, there's 120,000 people who visited the Everhart. But that's a whole different time. There wasn't a lot of different options. Now it's different. There's so many options out there today. We have to address those options. James Lansing, recently named the curator of the Everhart Museum, and Mark DiStefano, board member and longtime volunteer, talking with us about the highlights of some of the upcoming events and the vision for the museum. We have some things to call your attention to. On the 9th of November, there was a newly opened exhibition, and it's titled Every Four Years, Looking Back, Looking Forward. In the spirit of the presidential primary season, the Everhart's new exhibition is running through March 31st of 2024, and we'll look at some of the names and faces of those who have competed in the race for the White House. So represented in these images, slogans, and symbols are those who are winners, losers of past races, and the artists include Will Barnett, Audrey Flack, Robert Indiana, Alex Katz, Jacob Lawrence, and more. And that's up through March 31st. We also call your attention to the folk art exhibition that James told us about, opening December 20th and ongoing. Since the 1930s, the Everhart has amassed a premier American folk art collection. So through the support of the Oppenheim Family Foundation, the Folk Art Gallery will highlight selections from the expansive and diverse collection. Paintings, etchings, calligraphy, sculptures, store signs, dolls, toys, and more. And also, we talked about the excitement of a community day, and there will be one in December. It's December 16th, and it's titled Snow Much Fun Community Day at the Everhart Museum. The exhibits and collections will be open. The admission to the museum is free from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. on the 16th. It's a Saturday. And there will be free activities, crafts, live music, and much more. That's from 1 to 4 on December 16th, Saturday, at the Everhart Museum, 1901 Mulberry Street at Naog Park in Scranton. For more information on the web, everhart-museum.org, everhart-museum.org, E-V-E-R-H-A-R-T, everhartmuseum.org.